while Sister Helen was testifying, I, um, I thought of something that has been on my mind and heart for almost a year now. And it came there because I listened to uh, a tape of a meeting. They called them tapes back then in 1979, Um, and it was the last meeting before the church moved from New Jersey and the New York metropolitan area to Colorado. And there was a lot about that meeting that stirred my heart and spoke to me, and in fact, I even shared good bits of it with various people in various places, including some here tonight. But there was one particular aspect that really stood out to me and has stayed with me. My dad was telling about a trip that he and some of the other uh, brothers had taken to Colorado. He and my mother and, and some other brothers had taken to Colorado. And to be clear, they had already felt like they had a leading from God that the church was supposed to do this remarkable, even preposterous to the flesh, this remarkable thing to uproot and move 1,800 miles away. And all of the leaders in the fellowship at that time had been asked to pray, and they all had a sense that God was leading the fellowship into community, but they were asked to pray to know whether God would give a location And I believe of about a dozen people, they were were instructed not to consult with each other, to just pray and come back and speak what God had laid on their hearts. Now, I should say right here that they had looked at quite a few places. I know they had looked at a place in Massachusetts, perhaps Connecticut, Brother Howard could keep me accurate here. But they had looked at some options in the general region of their current location, but now they felt like the Lord would give them precise direction. And so about a dozen individuals, including uh, men and women, husbands and wives, they prayed and they got back, the leaders of the fellowship at that time, they got back with each other. And they were astounded to find out that unanimously they had all felt that they were supposed to go to Colorado. But Colorado is a big place and it's a far cry from where they were, 1,800 miles east in New Jersey. And so they had to send out some spies, if you will. They had to send out some, some people to, to know the exact location and how things were, were supposed to turn out. And I think that was the trip that these brothers had just returned from in the meeting that I heard. Someday I'm going to get to play a little bit of this for you, Lord willing. And... Um, My dad was talking about how God had just confirmed the process every step along the way. And he said, he said, you know, what we prayed is, God, if this is your will, then prompt us and open the doors before us. But if it is not your will, shut even the doors that we might be prompted to go through on our own. It's my paraphrase, but you get what he was saying. And he said that, he said there were times where we thought, we really felt something about a possibility and we scheduled a meeting with a realtor 
And we sat there in the parking lot waiting for him to show up at the designated time, and he never showed up. And he said, we said to God, that's a closed door if ever I saw one. <laughs> but he said, then there were other times where we would take a small step, and suddenly a door would open, and then another, and then another. And he said, we had the sense that God was leading us. He said, if we, if we, he said, you know, God could have just given us this really clear, vivid dream or a vision from heaven and given us street names and intersections and told us exactly where everything was. And he said, then we would have all gotten lifted up in pride about how spiritual we were. But God wanted us to go out not knowing where we were going. My paraphrase, but you get the point. And when she was talking about it's not so much a question of, God, will you come to where I am? But it's more a question of, God, help me get to where you are. I felt the same prompting. I felt the same, this, this same revelation percolating in my heart. I sat with a brother a couple uh, months ago, maybe six weeks ago. I don't know exactly. And um, he said, I'm feeling to make a change in my life. And I'm feeling to, to, to move my family and do this and do that. But I don't know exactly where. And I don't know exactly how. And so on and so forth. And I said, well, what do you feel? And he said, well, I know I'm supposed to make the change. But I don't know the details. But every time I pray, the only thing that comes to my mind is this particular place an arrangement over here. And I said, well, that's enough to take a step. Abraham could have sat there kneeling beside his bed until he turned 402, praying and asking God to please give him greater clarification. But when the Lord told him to go out, it says he went out not knowing where he was going. We want to be in control. And half the time when we pray, we complain to God about how we're not in control. It's the very things that make God, makes God rub his hands and smile and say, I know, isn't that great? It's what's making us whine and we think it's praying. God, I just don't know what's going to happen here or what's going to happen there. I know, isn't that great? Your walk of faith begins right here. Or is it a walk of wine? It's your choice. God doesn't want us to have the supervision. He wants to have the supervision. And he wants us to trust him. That's the story. From beginning to end and to this present day, that's the whole story. I told this brother, I said, take, take a step. Make a phone call. And as a result of that phone call, if another door opens, walk through it. And then, as a result of that, if another door opens, walk through that. But you already have the unction from God to make the change, and you have at least an inclination that your thinking is the Spirit. Take a step. Some of what we discussed last night pertains to this passage in Ephesians 5.15 where he says, Do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. It's almost insulting that God 
would tell me, the only reason you don't know my will is because you're a fool. You're foolish. I want to get that folly out of my thinking so that I can be not drunk with dissipation, but filled with the Holy Spirit and understand what the will of the Lord is. There's some sense in which we want God to do our faith for, have our faith for us, have our obedience for us. We want God to do it all for us. But he has given us a step. And this brother, I haven't disclosed any names, and so I'm not uncovering him, I'm uncovering all of us. He said, okay, I'll do this. And two days later he said, I haven't made that call, and I just feel to leave this all in God's hands for now. And I felt such a spirit of frustration come over me that I didn't respond. <laughs> That's not leaving it in God's hands. God's hands contain hearts, actions, prayers, steps of faith. That's where God's hands are. They're holding your faith. And when you're trusting him, you're in his hands. And when you're procrastinating, you're out of his plan. So he went, I didn't respond, and then, then the next day he sent me a text and he said, I made the phone call. When he made the phone call, he found out that the brother whom he called had had a conversation the day before with another brother, neither of them knowing any of these rumblings. And they had both commented that they wished the very thing that the first brother was praying about, they wished it would come to pass. So the first door, he tapped on it and it swung open and another door beyond it. And then this, the wife goes to a meeting and the Lord speaks to her through somebody. And then another confirmation. A sister calls up and says something out of the blue and doesn't know. But the chain reaction of open doors will not be yours unless you have the courage to take one step and be wrong. Because there's no harm in taking a step and saying, you know, this isn't it. I still remember it was 2007 and we were going to have a meal instead of a meeting downtown. And we had set up this, we all fit around a little horseshoe of tables. There wasn't very many of us. And we had set up this little horseshoe of tables and I had, well, it was this, it was the, the, the Bible just before this, the same Bible but a different binding. And I was sitting there and I, I was intending to share something different. But as I was reading in Acts 15, the Lord just started playing a drum on my heart. <laughs> And I said, I read how the Apostle Paul, a man who raised the dead, a man who commanded a, 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 a venomous serpent, a snake bite, and it, was, it ha had no effect, a man who performed miracles and gave us two-thirds of the New Testament and founded churches on a scale of like no, none other, this man of such unparalleled faith and power and spiritual wisdom. This man had a prompting from God to do something. And so it says that he rose and he went out the next day determined. Can everybody say determined? determined. 
he was not just thinking, well, maybe I'll try this out and, you know, feel the water. He went out the next day determined to go to Asia. But when he got there, what happened? The Spirit of Jesus would not let him enter. Then he said, so he determined to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of the Lord, the, the door was shut in Bithynia. And it wasn't God's will there either. Once, twice, got it wrong. And so he went home and he said, I'm not an apostle anymore. I don't know how to hear from God. Y'all just go, go do your thing. I'm going to just rest. Is that what he said? No, he had a dream that night. Because God had put something on him. Something needs to happen. The Spirit was seeming to say to Paul, a change needs to come. There's a step that has to be taken. Is there an Abraham who will wake up and step out even if he doesn't know where he's going? And Paul did it. And he missed it two times. But on the third time, he landed in jail. Whew, what a relief. <laughs> Amen. I remember when the Lord spoke this to me the first time. Amen. He landed in jail. Why did he land in jail? Because in his dream that third night, he saw a man saying, please come to Macedonia. He didn't know who that man was until the prison started shaking and the chains came off and he heard a sword being unsheathed. And the very man in his dreams was about to kill himself. And Paul said, sir, we are all here. This is the Lord's doing. Let me talk to you about what God's plan is. You see, we won't find those miracles if we're that kind of person who wants God to spell everything out for us before we're willing to take the first step. We think prayer is to make our way more clear and more certain. And prayer is not to make our way more certain. Prayer is to make our faith more certain. We are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Holy faith is an uncontaminated faith. A contaminated faith is a faith that still believes in God, but it has the leaven of, self, of examination of the flesh, and it has the leaven of fear, and it's not a holy faith. But when you pray in the Holy Spirit and you begin to pass into those realms where only the Holy Ghost has a say, where only the Holy Spirit is dictating the course, then your faith is built up. And you say, God, I want to do your will. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like to my flesh. I want to do your will. And if you want to make a fool out of me, I'll be made a fool of trying to do God's will. I'm going to Asia. And now I'm going to Bithynia. And if I have to do this seven times or 700 times, I'm not stopping until the door opens that God has called me to walk through. The Lord is warning us that we don't understand what the will of God is because we are in the folly of unbelief thinking that we're still praying for clarity. We're not praying for clarity. We're praying for repentance so that we might have the release to do God's will without consulting our will. There is nothing more humbling in the world than faith. And there is no place where faith is exhibited greater than humility. 
And humility and faith are just obedience. How did Jesus humble himself? He humbled himself by becoming obedient. There's nothing more humbling in the world than hearing from God and daring to act on it. You can think about it. Nothing more humbling in the world than hearing from God and daring to act on it. I'll give you a a little brief example. And I'm thinking of a really negative one and a really positive one. And I'm going to go against my better judgment and give you the positive one. I remember when I was seeking the Lord's will about who I was supposed to marry. I couldn't, I couldn't make up my mind, and I, the Lord didn't want me to make up my mind. He wanted, he wanted to reveal it to me. And I was praying, and, and I got to a place where I knew God's will. It was His will, and I was, I was determined to do it. And then I, uh, the next day, my dad asked me if there was anything that I wanted to talk to him about. And I didn't really want to talk about it quite yet. I would have rather think about it and pray about it and dream about it and think about it and pray about it and procrastinate about it for the next couple hundred years. Uh, But he he came into the living room that morning and he asked me, was there anything on my heart? And so I sidestepped it and told him what was going on with this, this, uh, this guy we had met downtown and what was going on at the different ministry outposts and such. And he kept saying, what else? What else? What else? And I still remember he had gone over to the dictionary and he was standing there looking up the dictionary looking up something in the dictionary. He never told me what it was. It may have been procrastination. It may have been bifurcation. It may have been sidestepping. I don't know. But he was looking something up at the dictionary saying what else to me. And um, I said, there there is one other thing, you know, feeling about as bold as, as a cockroach when the light went on. And I, uh, I told him what I felt. And I told him that I felt like it was God. So then a brother, Brother Jim Truax, who is a pastor, went to uh, my brother Abraham, told Brother Jim Truax, we would like anonymously for Brother Dennis, my wife's father, to know that a brother in the church feels like he's supposed to marry your daughter Rebecca, and just find out, is there anyone she feels to marry? And what I'm, where I'm going with this is that there's nothing more humiliating or humbling than faith. When you put yourself out there, when you take the risk of faith, you know you could get sideswiped. You know you could be dead wrong. And you've got to accept that. And you've even got to accept that unless you're really, really, really much better than Paul, you're going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong. If it's not about that, it'll be about something else. Paul was wrong twice. But he wasn't wrong, was he? Because he didn't stay there and think about it. He got out and did it. And God was able to clarify it. So the first day goes by and, and uh, her, her dad didn't get the message yet. The second day goes by and her dad didn't give her the message yet. 
And the third day goes by, or comes almost by, and I'm sweating bullets and feeling smaller than a cockroach. I don't know what it was at that point, but it was smaller than a cockroach. And I sweated all through Sunday and late Sunday evening, my brother Abraham keeps looking at his phone and nothing, no, he gives this look to my dad like nothing, nothing's happening, you know, and oh boy. Finally, his phone rings. And you know, faith filled me. I was sitting there and I could hear it. You know, there's a certain kind of prophetic faithlessness, you know. <laughs> well, Brother Abraham, this is Brother Jim. There's nothing there, you know. Something like that is how it was going. And so Abraham goes out and he comes back in and my father goes out with him and they talk for a little bit and, Dad, I'm sorry, but there's no, there's no there there and, you know, we're just going to have to let him know, you know. And so, in fact, when they called me back into the room, I, was, I had been preparing a speech of apology. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Prepared a speech of apology when God's about to answer your prayers? Yeah. <laughs> so before they could say anything, Dad, I just want to say, I'm very sorry. I should have never brought this up. Just came spilling out of my faith-filled heart. And I think his exact words were, would you just shut up? <laughs> voice of the Lord. <laughs> and my point is there's nothing more humiliating to your flesh than faith. And if it's not humbling, it's not faith. If you can get credit for it, if you can feel confident about it, if it's all in the bag, you haven't heard from God. But if you feel like your very heart is out on a limb, and you're trembling there, hoping it's God's will. Well, you might have heard from God. But even if you miss it a time or two, what are you going to do? Go home and pout? No. You're going to say, God, there's nothing else worth doing in the world. I just want to hear your voice. And if you'll prompt me, I'm going to take a step. I'm not going to sit here and blame my inactivity, my unanswered prayers, my stalled life on you. So it's going to cost you your pride. And the biggest expression of your pride is the need to be certain. We don't need to be certain of anything except that we're going to go when he says go. When he says jump, we're going to say how high. When he says now, we're going to already be on our feet going. Amen. That is the kind of spontaneity and obedience that we see in the apostles. That is the kind of spontaneity and obedience that we must see in ourselves if we would become people who are ready to face the days that are at hand. Foolishness can be waiting and foolishness can be running ahead. But foolishness is thinking you're in control. Anxiety is not being okay with the fact that you're not in control. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want you to listen to that. He doesn't end his thought. My Bible translation doesn't even put a period. It puts a comma. And this does correspond to the grammar in the original text. Listen to what he says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, comma, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, most of us want to make two distinct categories of anxiety and pride. Pride, oh, that's no good. That's what God resists. That's what nobody likes to be around. That's what none of us want to be. But anxiety, oh, come here. Are you anxious? We want to put these in two different categories. Pitiful, sweet, lovable anxiety. Awful, obnoxious, hateable pride. But Peter is linking the two. He puts a comma between the two. Do you put a comma between pride and anxiety? How is it that the anxious person, that anxiety itself, might be a manifestation of pride? How is that possible? Because the anxious person is the person who wants to be in control, pride. And when he realizes that he's just not, anxiety. But the person who doesn't want to be in control, who actually fears his own control, that person wants to put it in God's hands. And when he feels like he's not in control, it's actually sponsoring excitement inside of him. This is God. I don't know where this is going to go, but it's going to be great. But the proud person wants to be in control. And so if he comes into a meeting and things aren't happening the way he thinks they ought to be happening, he becomes anxious. But that, that anxiety is an expression of pride. Just give it to God. Just relax. I told you recently about somebody that was praying for the Holy Ghost. It must have been at least 10 years ago, 12 years ago. I remember them praying for the Holy Spirit. And they were seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were praying with all their heart, in a sense. And everybody was standing around them. And some people were massaging their back. And others were shaking them. And none of that is required to receive the Holy Spirit. And others were holding up their hands. Not even that is required. And I looked at this guy. And I don't know, I've never done this before or since. But his brow was like furrowed into all kinds of new canyons and wrinkles of fear. And he was just, uh, you know. And I remember asking everybody, why don't you just step back just a second. And I smoothed his face out. And I said, relax. Relax. He was speaking in tongues instantly. You know, you've got to give up your anxieties. Because they're just pride pitching a fit that it's not that he's not in control in the way he wants to be. You can't say, I know God's telling me to do something, I don't know what it is. 
You say, I know God's telling me to do something, and I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go out not knowing where I'm going because I feel him pulling on my heart. Now, you can't find God's will if you're at the center. Because who is the person who discovers that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Who is that person who discovers the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? The one who has put himself on the altar, not on the center. If you are the object of your concern, if this is about your place, if this is about your usefulness, if this is about your vanity and how other people perceive you, I'm sorry, but you are going to be frustrated at every turn in the kingdom of God. But if you would offer yourself as a living sacrifice and say, God, when you put a bull on an altar and you light that meat on fire, he doesn't decide how he burns. He doesn't decide for what he burns. He just burns. God, I'm putting myself on the altar of your purpose. And it's not up to me why. It's not up to me where. It's not up to me when or for whom. It's not up to me who sees or doesn't see. I'm here to burn for Jesus' sake. I'm here to offer myself as a living sacrifice. And if self is sacrificed, the will of God becomes evident. The curtains are pulled aside and you understand what the will of God is suddenly. The only thing eclipsing that vision of God's will is self. The cataracts of self are blinding the eyes. If self is sacrificed, God's will is evident. It just becomes evident instantly. Somebody is praying for God's will about who they're supposed to marry. But their prayer is not, God, I want to advance your kingdom. Unworthy, imperfect, flawed and rotten me, I want to serve your kingdom. Would you please give me, would you please show me who I'm supposed to love? Who is supposed to be a helpmeet to me? That is not their prayer. If that were their prayer, God would reveal his will. Their prayer is, who's good enough for me? This one? No. That one? No. Not gifted enough. Not gifted enough. Not noticed enough. Not the right last name. I want you to know I am making a promise before God to you tonight. If you would get self on the altar of sacrifice, his will would become evident to you. And I'm speaking from experience. Flawed, failing, imperfect me, I am speaking from experience. When God's will remains obscure, it is only because self is the screen between you and it. And if you can get that out of the way, you're going to know what you're supposed to do because you're going to know who you're doing it for and why you're doing it for love's sake. And it's going to require faith and not the faith that begs God to give you a plan that doesn't require faith. That's a lot of prayer is wasted. Please, God, give me something that I can do that doesn't require faith. And he says, if you ever found it, it wouldn't be pleasing to me. 
Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. The greatest part of your sacrifice is your uncertainty, yet trusting. Offer it up. I want you to give me the words to that song you were singing, the chorus. Somebody sing it. Somebody say it. I lift my eyes. I lift my hands. I bring this song. All of my days, all of my rights, and all of my wrongs. Carry it on. I offer my life here and beyond to the one thing true. Jesus, it is you. That's what God is speaking to us tonight. Everything. If you can pray that and feel that and mean that, there is a door that God will open before you that will surprise you. And one door will lead to the next and to the next and to the next. Do we have that kind of faith? Amen. If we don't, don't pray for greater clarity only. Pray for greater faith and just enough clarity to, to walk in it. And Lord, the biggest part of my sacrifice is the uncertainty. But I'm giving that to you as well. Isn't that the faith that Peter felt when he had to get out of the boat? Good grief, if there ever was no certainty. God is speaking to you. I hope somebody has enough response to the Word of God to change their thinking tonight and get out of that dumped-off category of waiters and get into the category of faith-filled, obedient people who find the will of God for their life. Amen. Some of us, I think, I wish sometimes that God had asked us, maybe six months ago, what is it that you're waiting? What step are you waiting to take? And when we identify, well, Lord, I'm praying about this. I wish then he would have asked us, I, I want you to make a list of why you haven't done it yet. Because I believe if we had made that list six months ago, we'd go back and read it tonight and realize that we make these reasons and then they get answered and we still don't do it. You should ask yourself that tonight. Has God prompted you to make a change? Has God been speaking to somebody about making a change in their life? Why haven't you done it? You think you're waiting on God, but you're, he's waiting on you. Only he's not waiting on you. He's passing you by. That's why it says that when he came into Jericho, he was passing by. And there was a man blind from birth who began to cry out. And it says when they were on the storm-tossed sea, that he came to them walking on the water, intending to pass them by. Because God is always going by the blind and the faithless, looking for those who are really reaching out in faith to do his will. You should ask yourself, what am I waiting for from God? What am I waiting for? Is he speaking to me tonight that I shouldn't be waiting any longer? Is he speaking to me tonight that it's time to take a step? And as has, as has been preached for nearly 50 years, the glory is in the step. Is that what he's telling me tonight? That the waters of the Jordan don't part until you put your foot in them. And you don't know it's Canaan until you wander in it like a stranger. And you'll never get to Macedonia until you blow it twice at Asia and Bithynia. Oh God, it's time we get up and get going. Amen. We've wasted too much time. Oh, God, want to do your will. 
I want to get some momentum of faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. about the evangelist Philip. Did he know where he was going? The word of the Lord came to Philip saying, get out and go to the road that leads to Gaza. Do you hear a destination in that? Huh? I don't. A road that leads somewhere. There was no destination in it. And Philip said, well, I'm feeling something about the road to Gaza. Could you all pray with me about where that might lead? Is there a town somewhere between here and Gaza? No, he didn't second guess. He just wanted to stay in the current of God's prompting. He would rather look like a fool than stay home and miss the timing of God. Says he got up and as he was Walking down the road, the road was the destination. As he's walking down the road, he has this appointment, doesn't he? Amen. Where are you going, Philip? On the road that leads somewhere. You mean you're going there? No, just to the road. Why? I just feel it. Let's go. Okay. God doesn't want to make us more anxious. He wants to make us less anxious. He wants to help us to relax in a certain sense. And what I mean by that is relax all the tense muscles and nerves of a self-protective flesh so that we can know his will. We can be still and know that he is God. And this is what he's speaking. Amen. You know, when he told him to stand still, it wasn't just to stand there and blink. <laughs> Do you remember when he told him to stand still and see the salvation of, God, of the Lord? What was happening? They were seeing the strongest army in the world absolutely ransacked and devastated in the waters of the closing Red Sea. Amen. When God tells you to stand still, it's not so that you can just wonder what you're supposed to be doing. You're going to see it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to share something short that, that I was reminded of tonight as God has been speaking to us about finding his will, particularly when the brother testified over here I, was, I remember a season in my life when uh, I was 19 and trying to find the will of God about a lot of things in my life. And uh, I felt like the Lord prompted me that I needed to be cultivating my relationship with Him on a new level. And so I determined, Lord, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray every night before I go to bed. And I'm going to go... Get, I'm going to get a hold of God. I'm just going to pray until I know that I'm not just feeling his presence, but I'm, I hear him speak something to me. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of things I wanted to pray about, and I prayed about those things. But I would just go, and I would just I'd walk over to the, the community hall. And back in those days, there wasn't anybody there late at night. And, and I would just pray in there by myself until I felt like God was speaking something. And oftentimes it would be small things. You know, I said, Lord, I don't care what it is, because I'd come to realize that sometimes when I'm not finding an answer to my question, it's because I was asking the wrong question. Amen. And I needed to just listen to what God thought was important instead of barraging him about what I thought was important. I needed to know what he thought Amen. was necessary to speak to me in that moment. Amen. And I would go and I would pray, and then the Lord would speak to me about little things. I remember one time he told me... Uh, 
What about your attitude towards that brother you were working with today? And I thought, oh, well, it probably wasn't quite what it was supposed to be. Uh, oh, I feel convicted about that. And then the Lord said, well, what, what are you going to do about it? And, uh, and uh, well, I probably need to, uh, I need to pray about that. You know, <laughs> that wasn't quite it, you know. And, and it was almost like sometimes I would, I would even go to leave. because Thank you, Jesus. You spoke something to me. You showed me something in my character. I need to work on that, you know. And, and I, would, it would be, I would literally go to the door sometimes, and I'd start to open the door, and the Lord would stop me. And he would say, what are you going to do with what I spoke to you there about that, that attitude? <sighs> I need to pray a little more here. <laughs> so I pray, well, God, what am I going to do with this? What do you want me to do with this? And I feel like I, I, need, to, I need to talk to that brother. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to that brother, and I'm going to apologize to him, share my heart with him. Amen. I go to the door, and, I, and the Lord would say, <clears throat> When are you going to do that? <laughs> and I would think, well, you know, it's, uh, it's almost midnight. I don't think it would be good to, to wake him up. So um, I may, I'll probably do it later. <clears throat> when is later? <laughs> okay, Lord, I'm going to do it in the morning. <laughs> what time? <laughs> you know, and it really would be like that. And it was like the Lord was just telling me, are you going to act on what I'm speaking to you? And then I go to the door. Lord, I think I think ten in the morning would be a good time. And I'd go to the door. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> go home and go to bed. And and you know, most of the time I, I would make that call at ten in the morning or whatever. And if I ever didn't, and I came to pray the next night, guess what? I didn't hear anything. And then the Lord would say, What did you do with what I talked to you about last night? You know, oh, God is more serious about this than I am, you know, and it was just a season. And, and I thought, you know, when the brother mentioned earlier, you know, I, I prayed and I hear God about other things, but I didn't hear him about the thing I was praying about. And it made me want to say, what did you do with the things you did hear him about? Amen. Amen. Because he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And so many times, uh, not just then, but still today, when I just move on the thing that I know God did tell me to do, even if it's as simple as just give that person a hug right now. If you just act on what God tells you to do, doors open about all kinds of other things. You know, where we say, well, it can't be that, and it can't be that, and I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with that. What about this? I'm not hearing anything. Amen. <laughs> Let God do the speaking, and we do the obeying. Amen. Amen. And the doors will open. Thank you, Jesus. Has God spoke to you tonight? He's saying, what are you going to do about it? Amen. Can we make up our minds and our hearts that we're going to do God's will? Amen. Let's ask him to help us to do it. Amen. We thank you for your grace on us tonight. We ask you to help us, Lord, as we set our minds and hearts to hear your voice and to do your will. We're committing ourselves to make changes. We're committing ourselves to take steps. We're committing ourselves to put aside the anxiety and the complacency of pride. We're committing ourselves to seek your will with flesh on the altar. Jesus' name. Amen. And if God spoke to you tonight and you don't do it, 
Don't expect to come back in a week and feel more of his grace and power. Expect to feel less and less until your relationship with him dries up altogether. Amen. But if you go back and say, Lord, what have you already spoken that I have left undone? Then that obedience will show God your faith. It says that Jesus was speaking to a house full of people and they took the tiles off and started lowering a man through the roof. And it says when he saw their faith. It doesn't say when he saw the man. It says when he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. When God sees faith, and real faith is visible. Amen. When God sees your faith, he's going to answer your prayer. He's going to say, as your faith be, so be it unto thee. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to dismiss now in this charge and with this, with this admonition that we go and do what God has prompted us to do.